Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast, the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. If You Market is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joe Toe PR, and I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, joined by co-host Carla Jo Helm. Hi, everybody. And uh, today we'll be talking about the product market fit with Michael Collins of Connected to Fiber. Michael is the vice president of marketing at Connected to Fiber. Uh, that's a software as a service startup focused on developing location intelligence solutions for the connectivity industry. Ah, I said connectivity in a very uh, Canadian way. It's Canadian very, uh, way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, a boot. Michael has over 10 years of practical experience in uh, successfully planning and executing marketing and growth initiatives for both startups and Fortune uh, 500 enterprises. Michael, uh, nice to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So probably one of the more um, disjointed uh, uh, introductions we've had there, but uh, <laughs> my inability <laughs> Not a problem. to uh, read long words. So before we get into the, the topic of the show today, product market fit and kind of how the product connects to the, to the audience, I guess that, that particular connection. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, kind of your professional path, how you got to, to where you're at? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So, um, yeah, I kind of had a, you know, um, from, from a career perspective, kind of been in, in a bunch of different places doing a bunch of different things. But um, I kind of started my career at, at some large companies, um, primarily General Electric, worked with there for, for quite a few years, kind of in a marketing and, and sales role, kind of just getting more exposure to, you know, the craft of marketing, um, being able to kind of see some cool technology at work, figure out how to apply those those marketing skills and those chops to, you know, being driving awareness, driving engagement, things of that nature. Um, I kind of did something very similar as well at, at EMC. Um, in particular, there was a business within EMC called RSA, and they really focused on cybersecurity. So in addition to the kind of cool marketing stuff, you know, we hear on, on this podcast, we also got, I also got introduced to kind of corporate development, M&A, um, investments, being able to kind of figure out, you know, uh, how to pick winners and losers within certain spaces and then, you know, use your, you know, operational experience around sales and marketing to actually help kind of grow those companies uh, once they're acquired. Um, but, you know, recently um, I've been really active in kind of the startup world um, and in Bo the Bo greater Boston area. So I work for, uh, for a few companies um, in a primarily kind of a product marketing uh, fit. Um, that's kind of been mostly my background. Um, really helping with sales enablement, content, messaging and positioning. Um, and it's really cool because, you know, like many startups, you know, you very quickly, um, you know, make moves, iterate on product, iterate on messaging. Um, that's what I've been doing for the most part for the last seven years or so. A um, couple of companies in the greater Boston area, Tivio and Tamer, and most recently at um, my current role, Connected to Fiber, um, I'm looking at kind of exploding my reach a little bit as the, as the VP of marketing to, you know, subs, you know, to consume the lead gen portion of uh, the marketing uh, function as well. So all really exciting. You know, I've kind of seen a bunch of different things within big companies, within small companies, as it pertains to marketing, and at least got a, you know, got the opportunity to kind of stretch my myself and and do some other cool uh, cool stuff along the way. Can you give us a quick explanation of what Connected to Fiber does? Yeah. No. Absolutely. So um, so Connected Fiber, as you mentioned, it's it's kind of the it's a SaaS-based application, but it's really the uh, cloud platform for connectivity. So essentially what we do is we help provide kind of authoritative, trusted location-based insight 
around, you know, for any commercial building, for instance, in the United States, we could tell you where it is, what network service it, and what tenants uh, are in that building. And why that's really cool is, you know, when telco providers look to buy and sell connectivity, and they're looking to, for instance, prospect a sales territory, you know, that type of location-based insight in the application on top of that really help them more efficiently market, more efficiently sell, kind of prohibit them or, 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 or entice them to go to one platform versus kind of swivel sharing across a bunch of different ones. So, you know, a lot of our customers are uh, these larger telcos um, and some big tech companies outside of telco that are looking at figuring out, you know, how do I consume or how do I sell um, um, connectivity, whether that's, you know, fiber, things of that nature. But, um, but really great company, you know, um, a lot of great domain expertise within that company and certainly a lot of applicability, um, you know, even outside of telco. Very nice. So today's topic, the product market fit. Let's start maybe with how that's applied within, within your own company there. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, product market fit is certainly something I'm passionate about. I think it's a, it's a significant topic, especially for startups. Um, you know, for the most part, I think that many startups kind of, you know, live and die by getting this right. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of definitions, you know, you know, Mark Andreessen talks about this a lot around kind of being in a good market with a product that satisfies that market need, but really being able to align what you, what you build to the buyers, right? Being able to identify, you know, what should I build or with what did, you know, with what I built, who are the most applicable, um, you know, folks to purchase it is really something that I think, you know, a lot of startups in particular, like Connected to Fiber, you know, work hard to get right. Um, so, you know, for us, you know, we have a great, a great example, as you mentioned, you know, we certainly built this kind of location-based um, insight platform for, you know, the telco space in, in particular. Um, and there's been a lot of testing we did, you know, a lot of, um, you know, trials we've done with folks to make sure that, you know, what we build is for um, the right audience, right? Who's going to get the most value from it, right? What types of features should we build? How do we think about um, what to build, right? Ultimately, that, that's very much ensuring that you have product market fit um, if you do it correctly. Um, and it should really be about, you know, figuring out where you have the highest yield in terms of value with your product. So um, with Connected Fiber, we've again started off with kind of the telecommunication space, but now we're finding fit as well within kind of these adjacent markets, whether it's big cloud companies or data centers or even large enterprises where they start to say, hey, based on the functionality and what you guys can offer, you know, we see tremendous value in, in what you could do for us as well. So really that's, uh, that, that, that's kind of how it's manifesting and, and connected to fiber. And, and ultimately it's, it's myself and, and all the others within the company, our responsibility to ensure that, you know, whatever we build does uh, kind of meet that, that insatiable market demand. If you guys build a product in a niche kind of, so it's, you don't have as large a probably as of an issue of potentially missing your product market fit um, because you're, you know, right. you're targeting the telcos and whatnot. But when looking to develop that product market fit, I was thinking there's, I can think of three, maybe there's more, I don't know, but there's kind of three ways to go about it. You have your gut if you've been in the industry and you kind of feel like you know what people want or who the right people are. Um, or, you know, call it industry wisdom, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then you have data driven where you're actually, you're carrying out some sort of activities and getting feedback on whether there's interest or not. Um, 
and processing that. And then you have like solicited customer feedback. Um, what do you guys use? What do you recommend? And am I missing something? Yeah, no, I think that's, that, that, that hits, you know, many of the elements on the head. You know, I think that, uh, so we certainly kind of apply all of those principles to kind of identifying product market fit. You know, it's certainly, you know, qualitative as well as quantitative. You know, I think that, you know, intuition, kind of that, that gut feel, as you mentioned, especially for kind of these younger startups is, is usually that first step. It's, you know, I've, in our, in our instance, you know, our CEO was, was from the space. Um, with the telecommunications, and he kind of purpose-built a lot of what we built um, from a product perspective for that particular industry, thinking, you know, and ultimately, you know, this is where, um, you know, I believe the the value will lie, the greatest value will lie within telecommunications. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just as important, I believe, as you expand or kind of look for that product market fit to kind of test, um, you know, new waters, right? Be able to, you know, in addition to, Customer direct customer feedback, you know, feedback from prospects, you know, try to um, take a look at adjacent markets, markets where you think this could also be a value and, you know, try to get their feedback and say, you know, here's, you know, I could actually use it for X, Y, Z. And, and you know, often that's been illuminating for us as we, you know, again, kind of used our intuition to build this for primarily, you know, folks in the telecommunication space. You know, we have some very large kind of household names from a cloud perspective coming to us saying, you know, we could also use you guys for A, B, and C that we never even thought about. So certainly intuition is important. I think testing um, is important as well. Um, you know, and then also, uh, you know, any type of, you know, uh, any type of you know, instance where you could get a group of customers or potential customers together to kind of riff on it is also something that, that we try to do. You know, we have an advisory board as well to help us even within the telecommunication space. Um, figure out where this product would, you know, would, would apply. And ultimately, we believe this is some of our best, most valuable type of feedback because, you know, with that candid back and forth, we're able to, uh, to kind of uncover new opportunities, which, you know, we think are, are, are significant, you know, strategic leaps for the company. So your advisory board is kind of a, a collection of experts that all have their, they're getting the intuition from select experts, basically, outside your company as well. Um, you mentioned one thing yeah. you mentioned, I said customer feedback and you mentioned prospects also. I just want to clarify, I don't think there's a such thing as prospects. There's customers and people who don't know their customers yet. That's it. No <laughs> prospects. No That's prospects right. out there. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Everybody's a customer. There is, yeah. Uh, yeah. They just don't know it yet. That's all. All right. No, no fit needed. Everybody could buy. I like that. <laughs> oh, wait. I don't want to make it seem like everybody's a fit. Within your target audience, everybody's a customer. Um, that's right. That's right. But yes, to, to, to think everybody's a fit, I would definitely not want to put that uh, concept out there with the whole product market fit. I think you can adjust both sides of the equation, right? You can say we have the product, we're not targeting the right market, or you can say we have this target market, the product isn't right for them. And usually you that's adjust right. the product sum and you adjust the, the target market sum. You don't, you don't typically just completely change one or the other. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things we look at is, is, you know, we always conduct exercises also around kind of our total addressable market and figure out, you know, if we were to start thinking about product-based decisions, you know, who should we be serving? You know, what is the most lucrative type of segment where we're going to see the highest return for the, the product that we build? So, right. you know, there's always that trade-off and, you know, we always have to have that within, you know, the, our frame of reference 
when we start to um, when we start to build and we start to assess that fit. You know, and if we do discover, you know, that there's a, a another market, an adjacent market, you know, that that becomes now, you know, consideration for, you know, how we build, who we market to, who we sell to, kind of things along those lines. Right. You can realize there's a whole market. There's a whole market that that you were never weren't even trying to sell to, but with a tiny tweak or just by identifying it, suddenly you realize, oh, we can sell to this massive market. We can double our addressable market just by making a slight adjustment or or pitching it in a different way. That's exactly right. Or or you maybe you have some features within your platform that, you know, were were not as, you know, utilized by a certain market and you start to see that you know, another segment's coming in and they're really starting to use that and that becomes a primary driver for them. So yeah, it's all about kind of that data-driven feedback as well, that user feedback uh, as you have, you know, customers and, and future uh, customers, you know, alike starting to trial and, and look at your platform, you know, all those types of um, opportunities start to, start to open up. And how is this different than, you know, honing in on your target audiences and going after them? Are you talking about this is a really basic question, but you're talking about before you develop your product or service or really fully, you know, flesh it out, actually go after the target audience, figure out what they need and want, and then develop it for that. That's what you're, that's the core of what we're talking about here, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's certainly uh, iterative as well. You know, there's various states of kind of how quote unquote baked, you know, your product is. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, so, so certainly, you know, I advocate as, as you're younger as a startup, you know, you have this, this intuition, you have this idea of, you know, what uh, you could build, what needs you could satisfy, and you're trying to marry those two concepts together to, to ultimately create a business. Um, I think product market fit, you know, is, is applicable in all sizes of business, though. You know, you can look at, um, you know, even more advanced companies and, and their acquisition targets and say, you know, hey, are we, are we building or buying this new technology for, you know, our target, target audience? Is this the most relevant, you know, things for them to consume? You know, that becomes, you know, product market fit becomes an issue there as well. I think particularly in the startup land, though, as you mentioned, you know, it is important to be, you know, close with your customers um, and, or your prospects or, or potential new customers and, uh, and build kind of in conjunction with, um, but also, you know, at least um, with insight from those folks. So you're starting to um, kind of really, really touch on the needs of, of, of the segment you're targeting. Yeah. So if you're trying to get those first 10 non-family member customers as a startup, that's when you might be changing your product the most as you hear back from them or realize a particular um, product feature or or target uh, attempt isn't working so well. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, you start to, as you start to kind of get outside of the, your first couple of customers, I think that becomes, you know, uh, in various breaking points within a company that becomes, you know, a, a test for how broadly applicable, you know, your, uh, your product could be right. And, and then how you market, you know, what the value proposition is, you know, kind of things along those lines, because, you know, you start to see many companies, you know, after they get their first four or five, even 10 customers, it's, well, you know, what I'm building doesn't really, you know, it's, it's only a sliver of the entire market that I can satisfy, right? So in our instance, you know, we certainly have, you know, just around 100 customers. And what we've built is something that is, is broadly applicable. But, you know, there's many startups where, you know, you get to five, six customers, and you start to hit that ceiling. And you're trying to figure out, you know, what do we do? Why is nobody else buying? And it might be because, you know, it might be because ultimately your product is just positioned for 
the ultra high end of the market, for instance, where only the biggest people could use it, uh, that particular functionality. And, you know, you're going to have four, five, 10 kind of solid customers, but the mid market's not ready. You haven't really kind of crossed the chasm, if you will. What to, about uh, develop something um, that's applicable? I mean, everybody talks about data driven and everybody wants everything to be data driven and, and feedback driven, but it seems like there's a danger there as a startup if you don't go off your intuition enough of having those first 10 customers and listening to them a ton and listening to the data they're giving you a bunch and basically locking yourself into whatever their niche is too much where your product, you know, they get you to customize your product down to exactly what they need, but it's really only what they need. And now you're alienating a much wider target audience because you've customized it for your first couple customers. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. So that's always a danger. I think, you know, with the product management in particular, it's how do you not become so idiosyncratic with what you're building? And it's just for, you know, this one big company that maybe, you know, dominated your roadmap and, and, and your business thought process. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's a, it's got to be a combination. And, and ultimately, it's a, it's a risk you take, you know, but it's something that would be worthwhile if, if you believe, in fact, that these first few customers are, are not, you know, representative of the market as a whole. Please those first few customers, but not too much. Yeah, just be cognizant of, you know, understanding, you know, how, how much they, they, how representative they are of the market. I think, you know, with, with, with additional users, um, additional customers, certainly those types of, of just becomes a little bit easier uh, question to answer. But yeah, to your point, you know, you, you certainly have to make sure that that revenue is coming in and you're satisfying the, the few customers you have, but always being you know, as I mentioned before, always kind of assessing the, the greater market, talking to other prospects, you know, getting in front of them with, with demonstrations, ensuring that, you know, hey, what you're building, is this, is there an appetite for this beyond those first five to 10 to the point where you could build a, a robust kind of scalable business? All right. Um, can you give us a couple things maybe to, uh, to avoid when looking at this product market fit? Um, and uh, maybe also some tips on, you know, specific things to some do's and don'ts, basically. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so from, from a do perspective, you know, I think, you know, we, we certainly talked a little bit about it right now, which was um, you really have to, you know, first get in front of your customers, right? Uh, I think as marketers, you know, we, we have a potential tendency to kind of stay within the four walls of, of the office, right? You're, you're, you're kind of dreaming up campaigns, you're dreaming up value propositions, you're dreaming up, you know, ultimately where you believe the product could go. But, you know, one of the biggest things from, from my perspective is, you know, getting out, talking to customers, you know, having calls, doing demonstrations, things of that nature will be very big on, on understanding ultimately who you're selling to, right? If, if you don't have that, that assessment, if, if you're kind of too in the weeds or in an, you know, with this echo chamber, um, ultimately you're not going to be able to make a good decision um, when it comes to um, um, product market fit and understanding if you're taking the company in the right direction. I mean, you're saying you should do that, right? You're saying that you should be talking to the customers. You should be talking to yeah. the customers. I mean, it seems to me like Absolutely. you're talking about really doing your market research before you start to develop a product and find out how big your market really is and is it sustainable and then working it backwards to then developing the product and make the product fit. I mean, I'm probably saying this in, in such different terms, but that's what it seems like to me. Yeah. Is there anything I'm missing? Yeah. I mean, I would say that, um, you know, I, I believe product market fit, it's, it's an iterative, uh, an iterative approach too. It's, uh, it's not always a, you know, kind of set it and forget it, right? Like, okay, right. we want to target, 
Like you know, these types of folks. And then we kind of back into what we need to build. Uh, it's going to be, uh, I think it's a, it's, you know, at the beginning, you want to do that research, you have a gut feel, you have your intuition, you start to create, you work with customers. But there's also steps along the line that I think are important, you know, because I believe that ultimately, especially in small businesses, these types of decisions around what to build, who to build for, who to market to, is, uh, is the difference between success and failure. And um, it's you know, ongoing. Good, I mean, it's ongoing, it, right? It's like, absolutely. It's, yeah, I mean, when you say it's iterative and you can't set it and forget it, I mean, I, I think that is a thing to remember for all businesses, right? Um, Even constantly so having to update company. your service, you having to streamline it, you know, markets change, things happen, economies right. happen. Yeah. Look at my oh, face. They thought they had the market cornered and then. Did they get lazy? Like, <laughs> like Blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, uh, I mean, there's some, you know, very notable companies today too that, you know, they, they kind of use their data and, and they had their intuition at the beginning, but kind of these pivots that, that occurred were because of product market fit. You know, I would think that, you know, there's, there's a company, you know, obviously you guys know about Yelp, but you know, in 2004, I believe, you know, they were all about kind of emailing, email recommendations for, you know, local businesses. Hey, I need a doctor, you know, could somebody help me out in this area, right? And, and really it's as they gained a user base, Right. As they started along their journey, even with the, the early user base, they really noticed that, you know, people didn't really adopt it as much. But what they did do was use the kind of writer review feature within the platform, which wasn't even the biggest kind of feature within it. That wasn't really the design. It was a it was a capability within the platform. But yeah. in of itself wasn't the core wasn't the core focus. And you start to see these types of pivots as they continually uh, assess their, their product market fit. They understand, you know, how to build for whom. Um, and it's, and it's using data, you know, it's, they had initial intuition, the initial gut feel as to what somebody could benefit from, right. They launched it, but it's because they, they continually assess this along the way that, um, you know, that they ultimately became successful, you know, Instagram, that's the same type of story. Um, so it's one of those, you know, where they were again, kind of focused on something like kind of like a four square ish type of app. And they just realized it was too cumbersome. People weren't using it, but you know they were using these, you know, these share photos feature within their app. Again, not the primary feature, but you know, then they then they pivoted. And obviously, these are some of the most successful pivots, you know, because we're still talking about these companies. You know, they they've been acquired and such. But um, but ultimately, because I, I I truly believe that that they took that feedback to heart. They really thought about their market and said. How do I create that product? How do I build? How do I market? How do I sell to those types of folks? And that along the way, even if that early traction really kind of catapulted them to that, yeah. that next level. Yeah. That's, um, gosh, it seems like you should have someone on staff just constantly looking at that. Yeah. So if there's yeah. features that are being used more than others, basically, don't, don't set your mind on this is what our company does, because you might see one feature that that is really standing out and that feature can be built out and highlighted and kind of become who you are as a company. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important that, you know, you're, you're figuring out, you know, you, you're, you don't want to, I guess, um, kind of get tunnel vision and you're, you're building for a specific audience, you're messaging and marketing a specific feature to a specific audience, you know, when you should be always constantly asking yourself, you know, what, what else could this be used for, right? Like what other, what are other ways in which we could market and sell and promote this type of product for certain use cases? And I think 
that, that consideration, that, that, that constant assessment, and I think data is a great way once you've built that critical mass, is really the kind of key to, to being successful. I think far too many companies, I think it's, you know, possibly some hubris, but it's also, you know, hey, I really believe that, you know, if, if, if we just keep at it and just keep pushing hard with different marketing tactics, different sales tactics, that we can, you know, more deeply penetrate this particular segment. Um, while many companies believe that, I, I do think sometimes the fact that, you know, they don't really think to themselves, what else could this be used for? What other markets, you know, could this be valuable for? Um, they are doing themselves a disservice. And I think they ultimately are kind of hindering themselves from a growth perspective. So there's two, two ways they can look at it. If they're not having the success they want or the success you want with a product, I'm having a difficult time with words today. Um, if you're not having the success you want, you might not be doing things right, promoting your product, but you also might just have the wrong product and or the wrong market. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the, I think most, and I believe most companies, you know, I think inherently they get, they get drudged into the day to day and they think, you know, how do we, you know, how do we serve better targeted ads? You know, how do, how do we have better salespeople, right? Like, you know, they, they kind of focus on the execution end, which is certainly, you know, possibility in terms of why growth isn't occurring. Right. But to your point, you know, they should also be, you know, assessing, well, you know, do we have the right features for this market or based on what we do have, right? Do we have from a product perspective, do we have the right market? And I think, you know, marketing in particular has, uh, should have a seat at the table with, with conducting these tests, conducting these assessments, um, and really helping steer the direction of the company. Because, you know, as, as I mentioned, I think that, that, that pays, you know, for itself in spades when you start to unlock, you know, where you could truly be, be valuable to customers. Yeah, I think marketing definitely wants to market a product that's easier to market and sales definitely wants to sell a product that's easier to sell. <laughs> that's for sure. So uh, the sales team probably can be tapped as well and said, you know, what do your people want <laughs> that we're not providing for them? And I'm sure they, they have ideas. Um, so maybe another, other than uh, customer feedback, sales team feedback is probably, uh, they, they will know kind of from all their interactions with customers. Hey, your sales um, guys yep. are on the front that's lines. I mean, we collect um, all sorts of stuff from our sales area. And you find if you have a like, you know, customer base, you know, like-minded individuals, a certain target audience, they'll say similar things, the same things, you know, what they need and want. It's a great source of mining data. Absolutely. Yeah. And I kind of view them as, you know, the proxies to the market, the proxies to your customers. You know, as you mentioned, they have, you know, many interactions with many customers every day. You know, and if you're sitting around a table, you know, their, their, their insight, their feedback should be either, you know, the raw data that they're getting from customers or a synthesis of all the interactions with the customers, all of which is, it's critical in answering those types of questions that we mentioned, you know, are we selling this to the right folks? Do they have this type of problem we're trying to solve? Right. Or, you know, we, they do, we're just doing it in, in, incorrectly. Right. And here's, here's what they naturally want to do that we're not doing. So I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the sales, sales teams, it's fantastic when it comes to that. And I think, you know, marketers in general should be, you know, embrace the kind of sales team from that perspective as well for, uh, you know, helping, you know, with messaging, but also, you know, for product management, ultimately, depending on how the product management team rolls up in an organization so that, you know, that feedback can ultimately get integrated into the product. And you know, you're not, for instance, just building for a few customers, right? You know that what you're building for is representative of, of the greater market. Yeah. Salespeople want to sell more. If you, if you ask them, how can we make you sell more? Some will just say, give me more leads. But uh, 
Um, right. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of valuable input there. I want to take a really quick break here, and then um, we'll be we'll be back in just a minute with uh, Michael Collins, VP of Marketing at Connected to Fiber, talking about the product market fit. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data. And at Mountaintop Data, we're all about data for B2B marketing. Our goal is to improve the quality, depth, and coverage of our clients' targeted marketing data while removing the technical pain of accessing and implementing data. We help with everything from new target contacts to appending and cleaning existing data, all with the goal to free you and your team up to focus on creating great marketing experiences. Check us out online at mountaintopdata.com and sign up for our new top data search tool, and get free access to search our database of over 30 million business contacts. Use the code hashtag IYM when signing up and get 200 free credits. Welcome back to the If You Market podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. Our lovely co-host, Carla Jo Helms, is here with us. Hi, hi. And today we have Michael Collins, VP of Marketing at Connected to Fiber. We're talking about the product market fit. Michael, I realized that the first half, we kind of, we were bouncing all around talking about product market fit. I'm worried that for the listeners, we didn't quite nail down what we mean by this. A lot of marketers will understand this concept pretty thoroughly, but for anybody new to marketing, can you kind of dig into just really succinctly what, what that means, product market fit? Yeah, absolutely, Sky. So, you know, product market fit, traditionally, you know, from a textbook definition is the, the degree to which uh, a product satisfies a strong market demand. So really, it's the dynamic between products, uh, what you build, um, and what you're going to sell, and the markets themselves, understanding what do they want to consume? What are their problems? What are their hurdles? What are the challenges that they'll pay to help uh, fix? So really, the, the dynamic between the two, uh, the strength between the two, is directly correlated with the strength of that of a product market fit. Okay, so if you're trying to sell an office space to businesses and you say, hey, these people want a large space that's affordable, so we set up some, uh, you know, we got an air, airplane hangar out in the, uh, the high desert here in Los Angeles, um, you might think you're, you're solving their problem, but when you start trying to sell it to them, you realize there's no internet or power out there. Um, so it's not really a good right. fit. I mean, just to go kind of extreme on how you could really bungle it. It's That's making right. sure it really fulfills all their needs. And then I guess you're not only know an audience, but are able to target them. Right. Absolutely. If you identify an audience, but you can't figure out how to select, how to identify them out of a much broader audience, you're going to have a really hard time marketing and selling to them. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, your, your example of, you know, targeting offices with a, with an, you know, a hanger, right? It's, it's a matter of, you know, the, the biggest decisions that business can make from that perspective is, you know, why sh- should I still be selling to a, an enterprise, right? Or should I be selling to an airline, right? At that point. Um, or if I'm really bent on selling to an enterprise, that's ultimately where, you know, we believe there's a growth path for us. You know, how do I fix the product to be more conducive to selling to that, um, to that particular consumer? So really that, that dynamic is, is, is certainly, you know, explained in, in what you just mentioned. Right. And then maybe another example, if, if you have a great idea for a product that you want to sell to Luddites that you think they would love, you're going to have a really difficult time finding those people in order to sell them the product. Since they're not online, they're not, you know, you can't call them on the phone. You're going to have a very difficult time finding that audience, even if they would love the product, if there was some sort of Luddite convention you could take it to. <laughs> That's right. No, absolutely. 
you know, and that that's precisely right. You know, it's also, you know, um, has a direct impact, as you mentioned in the, you know, the previous segment of, you know, how easy it is for marketers and sales, sales folks to do their job, right? If, if, if you're really trying to, you know, push a product, you know, to some people that, that certainly just aren't interested, right? Um, or aren't easily accessible, aren't easily available, right? Those are the types of decisions that ultimately can, can really damage the efficacy of, um, you know, an organization. And, and I think getting product market fit right at the beginning and continue iterating, continually ensuring that, you know, you're, you're following the most appropriate market um, is, is going to help those sales folks sell something that's, that, that, that customers want, helping marketers create positioning and marketing to, you know, to those folks that want to consume that service. So you need to solve a problem for an audience and you have to be able to find that audience. That's right. And you have to continually, you know, you have to continually stay in touch with the needs of that audience. And you have to ensure that, you know, you either follow them in, in at least, you know, from, from the segment that you're interested in it with, with regards to what you build, or you need to more accurately assess, you know, would I be more, would it be more lucrative for me to, you know, move somewhere else to these same type of capabilities? And those are all big strategic decisions that involve product market fit that, you know, ultimately have an impact on, on growth. So occasionally, either you got it wrong and you need to shift who your target audience is or adjust your product, or just the, the landscape can change. And you had an audience that you had nailed down at one point, landscape changes, and now you either have to find an S&M shop you can sell your horse whips to and your buggy whips or <laughs> go out of business like, or make a new product. <laughs> that's right. That's the that's standard right. antiquated thing, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> standard S&M example. Let's just look at um, target audiences. I mean, let's just look at the gig economy. Let's look at the workforce. Let's look at, you know, uh, millennials are now, uh, you know, they're growing into be, you know, 35% of entrepreneurs by, you know, the next five, 10 years. I mean, you have a totally t different target audience, right? I'm not saying everyone does, but I'm just looking at it from a, you know, a broad standpoint. This could happen in any industry. Right. Um, and so their needs and wants changes, how they look at things, how they, you know, handle technology or service or products. Um, it is a constant iteration and you have to, Absolutely. You, have, you have to pivot with it, you know? I mean, ideally you can make a great product and nobody ever threatens your, your market landscape or, or I'm anything. I'm sure that happens. And, I mean, toilet paper, come on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you continue to have that product forever. Or, You're done. That's right. But, but as you mentioned, but as you mentioned, you know, certainly you see examples of that, you know, left and right. I mean, the, the blockbuster example, right? Like, you know, for so many years, that was such a dominant model in the way that, you know, these brick and mortar video oriented stores, you know, were the dominant model in. And how folks consumed entertainment, right? But you know, this is an example of you know, okay, you know, we don't iterate, we don't follow the market, you know, we're not looking at our target customers, you know, and 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 then Netflix occurs, right? And it's a completely different disruptive force in the industry that you know they may have saw coming, they may have not saw coming, they've been able to adapt, they may you know just the DNA of the company was completely different. But either way, it's 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 symptomatic of you know. People don't want to buy DVDs. They want to rent DVDs or VHSs anymore. Right? They want to go to Netflix and, and, and turn on Stranger Things and watch that. You know, it's, it's a completely different, you know, it, it's, a, it's symptomatic of, of not figuring out when to pivot or being able to pivot fast enough. I think they did try, you know, the, and a kind of a you know, DVD delivery service like Netflix had, you know, later on. But it's, it's one of those things that, you know, really can, again, define the success of a company as being able to, 
either pivot um, or if you refuse to pivot, you know, uh, finding another market for for what you you know for what you can uh, what you can sell. And it it really is, I think, a, a phenomenon that you know folks folks consider more in in kind of the strategic marketing front. I agree with you. I mean, I think even the non-technology companies, when they're, um, you know, working in an industry that is rapidly changing with technology and really being able to pivot, you know, do the research, find out, you know, where their services are still relevant, how they're relevant, how they need to change, right? I mean, I was, Otherwise, I was talking to- Otherwise, your stores- Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, you know, I was, I was just talking to a service industry client, very large, you know, claims adjuster, right? But you have all these new technologies that are coming into the market, you know, drones and AI and blockchain. And, you know, there's still a need for the, the service side of talking to people, believe it or not. And they're trying to wrap their wits around, you know, how they actually incorporate all that with all of this technology. Um, you know, that's a yep. totally different yep. type, but it's, you know, everybody knows about the blockbuster. Everybody knows about Netflix, or, you know, but, you know, when you relate it to something that may be a little more close to home, um, the product fit to the market still applies. You still have to figure it out. That's what I'm getting from what you're saying. Yeah, ab- absolutely. This occurs in, you know, in, in every industry and increasing, especially with technology, you know, you have to figure out how to, you know, how to adapt what you're doing um, and how you service customers and, and how you offer things to customers. You know, you know, cloud is, is an example as well beyond, you know, just uh, that the cloud in general beyond just, you know, Netflix and, and Blockbuster. You know, this just changes the way that many technology companies needed to think about what they were offering. Right. It's and it's and it's many different like you mentioned, it's also many different industries. It's, it's you always have to be you have to have, always have to hand, have your hand on the pulse of of your customer, you know, from, uh, from the way you think about, um, selling things to them. Right. Or you have to find new customers. Right. Totally. But there's always that dynamic at play, you know, and, 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 and you have to, and it's, and it should be a decision of where's the most growth going to be. Right. It's, it's, it might not be bad to pivot. It might not be bad to, to service another customer, but you know, you have to have to ensure you're, you're constantly figuring out, okay, well, is it going to be more lucrative than what I'm currently doing? Do I have the capabilities to service those customers? And I think that these are, are some big, big decisions that companies need to make that could, you know, help the whole organization grow um, or it could be the downfall of the company itself. So what's the risk that this is going to be, you know, when you look at on the planet earth, asteroid strike, What's the risk versus something that, sure, there's things that can hurt a lot, that can kill a lot of people, but what's actually going to end human civilization? An asteroid strike. So that's a massive risk. With a company, you know, Blockbuster's asteroid strike was the internet. And I guess just mailing DVD, DVDs in general and the ability to mail them versus You know, VHS. they were actually really dependent upon late fees, believe it or not. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding you. Look it up. We even wrote about this. They were very dependent upon late fees, and that's. I guess one of Netflix's big early things was you can keep the disc as long as you want. Yeah. Mail it to you. There's no late fee. Get two discs and keep them forever. Great. It's a monthly subscription. We don't care. That's great for us. Blockbuster got a little lazy. Well, they'll just Mm. they'll just be late. (laughs) So where does our? We only have a couple minutes left, but it it seems like when we're talking about product market fit and the. Um, I mean, what, I guess whether you're a startup or an established company, but more in established companies, you see this this kind of naming. But it seems like it's kind of an R&D department of saying, hey, we need to constantly be making sure that 
I know we're producing this product here and selling it, but we need to have something going on the side, a small percentage of our business that's focused on what's the next product that we need to be developing or how do we need to be changing and improving this product. Otherwise, I mean, that's R&D. You get stuck with the same thing forever. You're going to eventually die out. Yeah, certainly in kind of defending your, you know, your exist from your existing products and, and, you know, how to make sure that you're keeping pace with change, you know, R&D and, and those folks, you know, of the folks in those functions certainly matter. I would say even at a big company, you know, just overall strategic from a business perspective, you could start to make very big blunders with, uh, with when you're not assessing kind of on your product market fit, you know, even at General Electric, for instance, right, they just, they purchased a company for 10 plus billion dollars also. And it was just, you know, wasn't an R&D decision. It was just a business decision. But, you know, one of, you know, when you read about it, one of the, um, the potential downfalls was, you know, well, you know, how, how much are these types of this power generation equipment that they were buying? You know, how well did that fit into what customers really wanted? Right? They, ended up, they ended up writing off a lot of it. But it's even in the in the larger kind of decisions you make as at the executive ranks with acquisitions, right? You know, product market fit matters a lot there as well. So, you know, whether it yeah, is defending your existing role, you know, and, and R&D matters there, or it is getting into new markets, right? Like having that constant assessment is, is at all levels, big and small company, um, is, is important at least. Super smart. Critical to the survival of the company. Excellent. Well, we have run out of time here. Uh, Michael, thank you for joining us today. I want to let people know where they can find you online. I suppose on LinkedIn, just put in Michael's name, Michael Collins, and uh, he'll pop up pretty quick and easy there. Where else can people find you and find uh, Connected to Fiber? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously LinkedIn's the, the best place to find me, but you know, um, certainly going, uh, you could read a little bit more about our company and myself as well uh, at connectedtofiber.com and that'd be www.connected2, the digit two, fiber.com. Fantastic. And um, I guess uh, thank, I want to thank everybody for listening to the If You Market podcast. Uh, obviously, please do um, subscribe to us on iTunes. And uh, on behalf of Carla Joe Helms and the If You Market team and Michael Collins of Connected to Fiber, if you market the shit out of it, they will come. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs>